Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 45 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about how to train for a marathon, specifically the mindset needed and the mental aspect of marathon training. This is the Real Life Runners podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So this is something that Kevin has experienced. So Kevin is definitely going to be taking the lead on this episode because I personally have never run a full marathon. I have only done half marathons. So Kevin, what are, where are we going to start with this today? Well, there's a saying when you run a marathon that you don't you don't race the other people in the race. You race the 26 miles. Yes, the, I can definitely see that. The, the, the challenge is the 26, and this pertains to everybody in the race. Even that like pack of five guys up the front, all literally racing each other. Something could completely go apart in that person's race that has nothing to do with the other elite runners around them. Mm-hmm. You race the course. Yeah, that's true. And I think that the for the rest of us real life runners that aren't in the top five of the marathon. That's pretty much always what it is, no matter what. But you're saying that that's what it is, even for those elite men and women. I mean, there's a lot of people that try and see the connect between elites and and like your average normal runner, and they think, especially when it gets to the marathon, that you're dealing with two completely different things. I say the longer the race gets, the more connected elites are to those around them. I think you're probably right with that. And other people, I think, go the complete other direction. They're like, oh, no, no, they finished in like just over two hours. That's a completely different person. It really is, it's a race where everybody is undergoing this like unbelievably gruesome ruling distance and time. Yeah. And I think that that does apply for races of other distances as well. It's, it's that mental challenge of being able to push yourself to your absolute limits. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about some of the physical challenges of a marathon to start out. Yeah. So I was, I was trying to come up with some thoughts on the marathon of what makes it so hard. And I kind of broke it into two things of there's the physical aspects and the mental aspects. And the more I look back at them and you read through the outline, you're like, this is an outline of the mental challenges of, of the marathon, even when it's written as, well, these are the physical issues. There's still mental challenges there. So the first thing I came up with is you have to be able to physically be on your feet for 26 miles. That's a lot of miles. For depending on who you are, that's somewhere between two and eight hours. Yeah. Either end of that is incredibly taxing. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, the there's a, a very different physical beating on your body when you're out there crushing a marathon for six, seven hours. Mm-hmm. That is just a lot of wear and tear and beat down on that. I don't know if if I'm at a place right now where I could go out and be continuously running for 26 miles. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are, and they're like, "Oh no, no, I like I run, walk it, so I'm not. Uh, it's a different thing for me." It's like, yeah, it's a very different thing, and it's also incredibly hard. Right. It, it's just as physically taxing, and right. the, the mental to be able to keep going that long is super hard. Yeah, because you actually your body just has to be able to endure that. 
It's that physical, the muscles have to be strong enough that they are able to do that and not just let you sit down and lie, lie down because you're just exhausted. Right. And there's usually some get it, somebody with a smart alecky sign somewhere around mile like 22 with a sign that says, don't you just want to lay down? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Put your or sign away. If you see me lying down, um, please pause my Garmin yes. or, or, or pull pl- me over the finish please line. Please drag me across the finish line <laughs> yeah. and then get me some water. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so there is just the, the challenge of being out there for so long. There is the challenge of pushing when your body is running out of fuel. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely one of the biggest differences in the marathon versus pretty much any shorter race because the marathon requires fueling. There are You can get through other races without fueling. Half marathons do not actually require fueling in a lot, in a lot of situations, um, depending on how quickly you're running it. But I think for the most part, a lot of people can get away with not fueling at distances under a half marathon. Yeah, half marathon and under, I think a lot of people can get into it. Um, I think a lot of people would benefit of trying to fuel during a half marathon. Yeah, I agree. I definitely felt a difference when... But it's definitely not required. The The suggestion is usually once you're racing for more than like an hour, 15, hour and a half, right. you definitely need the fuel. And so that includes a lot of people for a half marathon. Well, it depends on your definition of need also. Yes, exactly. You know, because I'll, I'll tell you, when I ran the half marathon this past weekend, I felt better after I had that energy goo, you know, the, right. that I had about an hour into the race, my, my legs started to feel a little tired and I took that and it did feel better after, after I digested it. <laughs> well, yes. And that's why I stuck this in as one of the physical challenges is not just your body's running out of fuel and you need to try and figure out what to do or access other fuel sources in your body, but you need to actually beyond just running, practice taking food into your body and mm-hmm. figure out what type of food is going to work for you. Like there are some elite that, that can't take anything that's sort of in a solid form. And so right. they just come up with like sugary drinks and mm-hmm. can take those down. And there's others that can put down a goo and or there's yeah. others that like the little chewy things. There's, right. You've got to practice this. That and has to be part of your marathon training. That is 100% part of the prep work. Right. I know that when I take those energy gels, it I definitely feel it for a good, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. Like I, I this time I actually tried it... Um, Instead of taking the whole gel at the same time, I kind of spread it out and mm-hmm. took like took it little by little, and I think that helped um, because it wasn't like all of a sudden this huge glob of goo right at the top of my stomach because I can feel it right at the top of my stomach, and it like it affects my breathing. Like it makes my breathing a little bit more labored because I can feel that right there. Like almost like it's a, a weight bouncing up and down at kinda, the top of your stomach. Yeah, kind of. That sounds rough. Yeah. So, but you know practicing allows you to kind of know that. Yeah. And then, you know, you can also decide if, if that is always there and you can't deal with that. I mean, that's one of the things you have to practice is maybe that is something that little mild discomfort that you have to be able to adjust with because you need to get the fuel in Yeah, or you can go to like a liquid only fuel Uh instead of taking in water at the water stops, always take in whatever the drink is at the water stops. I have a friend that uses peanut butter pretzels because the, the salt, you know, she knows that she sweats so much that the electrolytes go out of her. So she appreciates the saltiness from those, and she uses those as as part of her fuel. Other I, people couldn't do it because there's no way they could chew. Right. And then, well, that's what I found on my half marathon back in February. Yep. I took raisins because that's what I, I had used it during my training. It was good. Raisins, were they were totally working for me. But during that race, because I was pushing myself more, yes. it was a different experience. I was like... 
chewing and chewing and chewing. I felt like I couldn't chew swallow. them fast enough right yep. i couldn't swallow them i couldn't chew it fast enough like it was too taxing for me like i took them once at mile five and i was like forget it i'm not doing it anymore right so this is a lot of the times when you get uh like marathon prep work they'll they'll tell you you should practice taking whatever the fuel is try it on one of your long runs yeah and yes well it's a good thing on a long run because you're going to need to fuel your long runs for a marathon it's really good to practice it on a shorter run where you're working at a marathon pace or a half marathon pace because then you know how your body's going to react when it's running that hard. Can I actually suck down a, jew, a goo when I'm pushing that hard? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Push it on like on you know like a, a lot Thursday of workout. Do that. No, they push it on every everyone. Everyone does r- the long run. Oh, I'll try it on a long run. Well, yes, when you're out there going very very relaxed on a long run, you can chew up your raisins, mm. and suddenly it goes into a race, and you can't chew and swallow. Yeah, so that's, it's that's good. That's a really good piece of advice, right yeah, there. Yeah, no, I that's mean, a good. That one. is like a golden nugget. Like practice fueling during one of your harder workouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Or you know, sometimes when you have those. Um, those workouts for me where it'll be in the middle of a long run, Mm -hmm. then I'll drop down to marathon pace or half marathon pace. I mean, and, um, that would be a good time. That to would be a good time it. to practice yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Um, another one, and I don't think we need to spend a huge amount of time on this guy, is need to handle whatever your temperature and hydration requirements are. Okay. Okay. Because most people don't need to stop for water in a 5k. Right. There's a lot of five, almost every 5k will have a water stop, especially yes. ours in Florida. Well, they're good to dump on your head. Yeah. But it's 100% not necessary to throw water into you during a 5k. Right. Unless you're like marching through Death Valley. Mm-hmm. But in the marathon, you're going to need to take some in. And this has issues on both ends. If you can't get enough water into yourself, uh-huh. you're going to start overheating. If you're taking in too much water, you're sweating out salts, you're taking in pure water that's throwing all sorts of of electrolyte imbalances Mm -hmm. and you're just not able to make the chemical connections inside your body that even if you have the fuel, it's just not working correct because you're just flowing water through your body at that point. And I think that a lot of the during race nutrition, like the, the gels and that kind of thing, they encourage you to take it with water because it will help to the digest goo sh- it. Goo should better. always be taken with water. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't hit like a, a big glob. But I a big glob like what happened to me. Well, I really struggle myself to take down much water during the race. I can mm-hmm. take it like a few sips at a time. Yeah. So I've just gotten really good at being able to suck down a goo and have it not really affect me. Yeah. But you have to be able to practice taking in water is what you're saying. Yeah. So a lot of people use those handheld waters or they have the hydration belts with the water bottles in the belt. Good stuff. Some people run with the the, um, backpack vests, you know, the the water back, the the water vests. So there are different things and different options that you can go with. You can technically, you know, for a marathon, there's going to be lots of water stops, no matter pretty much which marathon you do, I would say. So you're going to, so you, but the challenge with that is then you have to run with a cup in your hand and figure out how to drink without just pouring it down the front of you. Uh, So you pinch the corner. So it looks like instead of a, a round cup at the top, you pinch it so it actually has a spout oh. and then if you can't just chug the entire cup at once you fold the top over so it almost it, it makes a little water pocket for you okay and then when you're ready to drink it you unfold the top and you've got a spout again you are just filled with golden nuggets today that's what i got all right so 
basically figure out what kind of water options you like. I tried one of those handheld water bottles um, a couple times on my runs, and the first time it was good. It was fine. didn't bother me. Tried it a couple times like that. Then I actually put in one of those electrolyte tabs in the water and did a long run. And then that when I, as soon as I finished my long run, I took off the water bottle and my hand was so swollen it was crazy it was I couldn't even bend my fingers it was the craziest thing and I don't know if it was the electrolyte tab or just the heat that day or if I, I know was it's something that you're so gonna have many, to test again you have to test it on another time just to see if it happens again the problem is if it does then you've got your like crazy painful swollen hands again right which which you don't want like it's a test that you don't want to do but well, but and that's one of the things you. yeah but right and in that way you know but that's one of the reasons that I didn't take any of the electrolyte drinks at the like during the race because yes. I didn't want like something to just all start swelling on me. Well, I mean that's one of the things that they definitely tell you. I mean you hear that preached all the time. Don't try something new on race on day. race day. Yep. So if you've never tried whatever. You know, a lot of them have Gatorade at the water stops, mm-hmm. but some of them are like sponsored by right. what, like a different one. A different one. And if you've never had that before, be careful. Mile nine might not be the best time to do it because you got seventeen to go. It do- oh yeah, when we're talking about a full. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that might not might not be the best best idea to try something new at that point. Right. Yeah. Like the one time that I tried dates on my long run. Oh yeah, that didn't yeah, go well. For that you. did not go well. So that was the only time I actually needed to stop and take a bathroom break. So right. that was very good to know before race day. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of stuff to practice and make sure beyond just running. I mean, don't that get wasn't me wrong. too much information. Was no, it? no, no, no. That was fine. <laughs> Um, there is a lot of physical stuff beyond running. I mean, you can Google running race plans and there's, there's a ton of different, like, you know, muscle systems and, and get your cardio up and build the long run and do this and that. But there's a lot of physical things that need to come in besides just the running itself. Uh You know, beyond being on your feet for 26 miles, you've got to actually be able to fuel. You got to be able to take in the water, Mm -hmm. deal with the heat. Maybe it's cold, maybe it's windy, whatever it is. You've got to be able to deal with all of that beyond just running for 26 miles. Yeah, but that sounds hard enough. I agree, but that is not something that you can easily practice because it's not like you're going to just start traveling places just to do runs. I mean, most of us do not have that kind of financial ability, you know, I'm going to go do a practice run. And I know I was listening to a podcast with somebody who, you know, it's like a, it's a pro and they're like, well, you know, I I get away to Colorado to train at the altitude, but then I, I went to Boston for like three weeks so that I could train on the course. And then I went back to Colorado. I'm like, yeah, that's not how I work. Yeah. Real life runners don't have that luxury. That's why a lot of this, like, physical training is mental because you have to practice as best as you can knowing that it still might not go perfectly smoothly on race day and you have to be able to mentally overcome that fueling isn't working perfect and hydration isn't working perfect and you've still got to go. Right. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things for people to accept. It's all the unknowns. It's the fear of the unknown because you might have a perfect training cycle. I mean, as perfect as a marathon training cycle could be. I mean, we all know that there's good good running days and bad running days. And there's some days you feel like a rock star and there's some days you feel like you just started running yesterday. I mean, I'd argue a perfect marathon training cycle is when you make it through without getting hurt. That's true. I would agree. But even if your marathon training goes 
super, super great. You still can't control exactly what the conditions are going to be like on race day. And if you're, if you've been training at in 60 degree weather and all of a sudden it's 80 degrees on race day, that is going to completely change the way that your body adapts. Yeah, suddenly and is it, what 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 it's able to physically accomplish. And you have to double the water intake. You weren't prepping for that and suddenly you're getting in more way more fluids than you were planning. Right. That's Well, look at Boston this year. They were in a like a snowstorm, blizzard. It was so cold and windy and it was crazy. And and you know who dropped out more than more elites dropped out percentage-wise than your average, like, everyday runner. Mm. Who, well, everyday runner that's in Boston. Right. But more elites dropped out. I'm not surprised by that. Because they, if they didn't feel like they were going to be able to win it, then what was the point of putting their body through that? Right. Come back a few weeks later, maybe you find something else. Right. Maybe there's a, you know, I think the USA 20K that championship totally was coming up. There were other marathons coming. Yeah. So a lot more pros dropped out. A lot of the people that are like, I qualified for Boston. I'm going to finish I'm gonna Boston. I'm going to run Boston. So yeah. it's, it was interesting to see. Yeah. All right. So the mental side, and I realize we've made it into it and you definitely hit it already of a big challenge of marathons is, is the unknown. Okay. And that was one of the first things that I put down here is how do you run the first one? Right. You know, mentally accepting that you can run for 26 miles when you've never, ever done it before. Right. And most marathon training plans don't have you run that distance prior to the race. Most marathon training plans should not have you do it. So first timers have in all likelihood maxed out at like 20 miles and never really run farther than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so trying to be able to say, to get on the the starting line and be like, yeah, no, I can run 26 knowing that you've never done that before. Mm -hmm. It's tough to to get that confidence into you. So um, I suggest a a variety of different ways to to hit workouts Mm -hmm. that build your mental capacity to say, yes, I can do that. Something that will instill the confidence that you can dig that deep, that you can get it, get through all of it. Okay. And what kind of workouts do you suggest for that? So instead of going on a long run of 20 miles, if you can fit it into your schedule, go on, on two long, two longer runs during the day and split a 13 in the morning, 13 at night. Two days. Or if that, because two in a single day is asking a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that I could have, get out on a 13 mile morning run mm-hmm. and then be like, all right, I'm also taking off this afternoon. Like there's kids, there's stuff, there's right. camps and you, you got to take care of people. So if you do a 13 the night before mm-hmm. and then wake up and do a 13 the next morning, yeah. that's essentially a two a day. So not necessarily a 12 or 24 hour period, but more like a 12 to 15 hour period. Right. Over a pretty short period of time, hit back to back 13s. You've done the mileage Mm -hmm. and some people need that. Some people really need to be able to say, I've done 26 in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not necessarily needed for everybody, but some people have to be able to tell themselves, I I have physically done the 26 miles, Mm -hmm. break it into two things. Cause running 26, just there's too much wear and tear on the body. There's too much wear and tear. But if you do like an evening run and then a morning run, does your body have enough time to recover between those to negate some of that taxing effect of that many miles? Yes. Okay. Enough to to lower the risk, yeah. but not enough to totally refuel yourself. So you're still dealing with shortages you're of fuel. You're still depleted. You're still totally depleted, yeah. which is exactly the same thing that happens in my second point. Um, put in a moderate threshold level run, which is like half marathon kind of pace, like pace that you could sustain for like an hour, hour and a half. Um, 
on the day after you do your long run. Okay. So almost everybody on on whatever plane you're looking at, they'll have a long run, and then the next day will either be a short, easy run or, or even a, a full blow full blown rest day. Yeah. I mean, we even tell a lot of our athletes not to put long runs and workouts back to back. Right. If you put a long run and a workout back to back, and this is what I'm saying is don't put like a super hard speed workout here. Like it shouldn't, and it, this should not be every week of your, oh, of no. your training plan. This is like maybe once during that four month training cycle. Exactly. Right? You do it once about- As a mental workout. Maybe about a month out from the race, you hit something where it's it's a super mental and physical taxing thing. Like the physical aspect makes you hit that place mentally. Okay. So it's, it's a decent run. But like it needs a- to be- quick, like uh, far enough in advance of the race that you're not, it doesn't, you're not so depleted for the race itself. Like don't do this the week before. No, don't do this the week before. But this is why there's so many plans out there. And I mean, I can come up with them. Like I could type these guys out nicely where it's like, here's your marathon plan. It fits conveniently into 16 weeks. A convenient one would fit into like a year where you can test all sorts of these things here. Right. You know, if you could do this kind of run like three months out, you can see whether it worked well or not Mm -hmm. and then try it again two months out and then maybe try it again one month out Mm -hmm. so you can see how you're getting stronger that, you know, maybe it worked better on this one. Maybe you need to try something a little different. You can try different tactics on it. Okay. All right. Um, Third one, first timers, where you can get to that mental capacity to push through a lot of pain. I've done this with a, the kids on our uh, on our cross country team. Come out with workouts that are not necessarily perfectly pertaining to that race distance. Workouts that don't have a uh, a super a hundred percent direct connection to the marathon. What do you mean? Um, quarter repeats at five k pace. Quarter repeats at mile pace. That's not a typical yeah marathon workout. Quarter repeats at mile race pace is not a marathon workout. Yeah, but quarter repeats at mile race pace with fairly reduced recovery is going to quickly take you to that pace, that place of, of a whole lot of pain where mm-hmm. you're trying to push through and your body is screaming from every direction. I can't do this anymore. Right. And if you're in the middle of marathon training too, you're not doing a ton of that higher end speed work. Your body is used to the longer, slower mileage. So to then throw in that kind of speed, your body, your systems aren't, haven't been training for that. Right. So it takes a lot of mental capacity to be like, no, no, no. I know you're tired body, but we're going to go ahead and do this now. We've got another set going. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's being able to tell your body it's not as tired as it thinks it is. Okay. So I like, I like the workouts that really take you, like make you scrape the bottom of the well for everything that you can bring. Mm-hmm. Again, this kind of thing, just like the last one, just like a, a work, like a, a moderate run the day after a long run, it takes more than one recovery day. That's going to take two to three recovery days. Mm-hmm. This one where you have to dig so deep is going to take two to three recovery days. Mm-hmm. Don't do it the week before. Right. Put it put it three to four weeks out mm-hmm. and see how you're going. And okay. Don't put multiple of these things into one week of training either. This is These are bad ideas. Right, right, exactly. So if as a coach then, if you're designing a workout that like that, that's going to take the athlete to that place mentally, do you tell them ahead of time that, that that's the goal of the workout? Yes. Okay. Yeah, totally. Like, we're totally going to try to destroy you right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to go to the dark place now. Like, <laughs> like, okay. So they know ahead of time that this is a mental workout and not a physical. I mean, it's obviously physical, but it's more of a mental. It's, it's a very, very mental workout. Mm-hmm. This is... 
you know, it, in person, it's great to do this one because like you just can't quit. You can't quit. Yeah. This is a good one if you're in person to take the watch off of the person because hitting the times is not as important as them feeling like they're hitting the same effort. The effort level. If it feels to them like they are giving you mile race pace for a quarter, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if that pace started slipping from 70 to 75, 80 seconds, 90 seconds. If they cross the line and it's hands on the knees sucking for wind for whatever that recovery period is and hit the next one, it doesn't matter. And they they may know in their head, okay, I'm probably slowing down a little bit, mm-hmm. take the watch away, and just make sure that they know that they are still trying to mentally overcome whatever they're feeling because mm. they're not done yet. Yeah. Because that happens. Somewhere between mile like 18 and 24, your body is going to reject you completely and say, no, 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 we're going to sit down. And you have to say, I'm not done yet. Wow. Yep. <laughs> For sure. So that flows nicely into your next point you have here. So we just talked about the challenge of how do you run the first marathon when you've never run that distance before. So we're moving on next to our our second point here, uh, the mental challenge of the marathon, which is faith in a training plan or coach. So talk to us about this. All right. So this is sort of the, the idea that someone out there has done it. Okay. It might not have been you, but someone has done it, okay? Um, and I reference breaking four minutes in the mile with this one. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was not an impossible thing. Right. I read a, an interview from Roger Bannister where they talked about how um, you can read this all the time where people are like, oh, the doctors were saying that you couldn't break four minutes because your heart would explode. And Bannister in, in the interview basically laughed. He goes, um, no, newspaper reporters were saying that because it was a catchy headline. Mm-hmm. No one was actually saying that. Right. But it was still out there of the four-minute mile was impossible. Who could possibly break the four-minute mile? And there were a lot of people running like 401 and 402, and then Bannister did it, and suddenly within five years, there were several more people that were under four minutes. It's not that suddenly there was a new breakthrough in training. It's just that someone showed that it was possible. So this is why I say faith in the plan, faith in the coach, knowing that someone has has done it. They've coached someone who's made it there. They've run it there themselves. Mm -hmm. Like I feel pretty confident putting a plan together, having people ask me about different aspects of the marathon. I've I've crossed three finish lines. Right. That's not... You broke the tape on one of them too. I broke the tape on one of them. Um, I worked for a long time selling shoes with a guy who crossed over 100 finish lines like you know on slow afternoons at the shoe store you'd get i'd suck as much information out of gary as i possibly could like you just you gain all of this information knowing that someone has been there someone has made this possible Mm -hmm. and knowing that they've done it makes it seem a little bit more possible that you can do it right and i think that that's one of the things that pulls a lot of people into the marathon just in general is that they've had a friend or someone else that has run a marathon that has either told them, hey, you should do this too, or they've seen their friend do it and said to themselves, either in their head or out loud, well, if they can do it, I know I could do it. Yeah. And have you ever driven down the street and seen the 26.2 sticker on the back of a car and then looked at the driver and thought, Really? Yeah. Well, if Oprah can do it, I can do it. Oh, the, the right? magic 420 barrier. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a, but there's a lot of that out there is just knowing that someone else has done it that's similar to you, someone else that is a mom with three kids, someone else that has overcome cancer, someone else that has 
any sort of similarity to you and your story, if they've done it, well, that you probably can too. Yeah. Right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. The, this guy also um, works with the support of a group. Having a team, whether it's like an actual physical group that you can go out and run with where you guys are all training for the same thing, or a virtual group, whether you're training for the same race or uh, like the same distance that all happens over the course of some period of time. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a physical training group by us. They're not all training for the same race, but they're all training for a marathon. Right. It just takes place over the course of like this like two to three month window mm-hmm. is, their, is their goal. Right. It gives you people around you. It gives you support. And it gives you accountability, mm-hmm. both of which are really helpful in a marathon program. Yeah, being able to commiserate with each other on yeah. you know long runs and that kind of thing, that is something that's very helpful, is, is having other people in your circle that know what you're going through. Even if it's not exactly the same, it's still similar. You know, It's still something that you can talk to someone about and share your experience with. And it just feels good when you talk to other people that – are in the same boat as you. Yeah, it's it's really great to have that kind of support. I think to the other end of that spectrum, it's sometimes really nice to have people around you that are not necessarily running support that can sometimes help pull you away from being Ooh. so focused on the marathon I like it. and just, you know, commiserating together of, Oh God, 60 mile. I guess we'll get through it. There's someone who's able to help you pull back and be like, yeah, it's, that's the run that you're training for, but mm-hmm. you've got all of this stuff also going, yeah. you know, if you had a bad run that day and you come home and you still have, you know, three kids run up and give you a hug, like let's keep everything in perspective here. I love that. It's a race that you're going for, mm-hmm. but ultimately there's probably a lot more going on in your life than just that. Yeah. So right. having the group to support you, but also having other people who don't necessarily have to run support you, but they just support you because you're you. And because they love you. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin. Number three. So how do you race 26 miles if you max out your training around 20? All right. So this sort of combines the two things we've said. I had like, how do you do the first one? Um, and then how do you do like, like what is the, the point of why do training runs only go up to 20 mm-hmm. if the race is 26? Right. You know, if you race a 5k, most training programs go over three miles. Mm-hmm. You race a 10k, most runs go over six. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you get up to 26 miles and they're like, eh, you only have to do 20. Mm-hmm. It'll, you'll get through it. Yeah. Yeah. The last <laughs> six, yeah. The last six miles. Yeah. And then no problem. And then can, conveniently the uh the wall shows up right around mile 20 but i mean that that's almost a quarter of the race yes you know yes that's if a, you break it down percentage wise that's a very and i think it's the final 90 percent actually if yeah. you break it down there's the 10 percent that gets you to mile 20 <laughs> and then there's the next 90 percent that gets you from 20 to the finish line um or you could be at boston and they'll throw a hill right at mile 20 all right so then why do most training plans not take you past 20. It's a risk reward thing. Okay. It's just not worth the taxing on your body to be out there for so long. Mm -hmm. And depending on how, like what your pace is, you know, if, if you're aiming to run a marathon in like five hours, going out there for a five hour training run is just so much time on your feet Mm -hmm. that it's going to take you several days to recover from that. Mm -hmm. So then instead of really getting much out of your training week, you're spending the entire week just in recovery mode. Okay. So it's a risk reward thing of, Mm -hmm. yeah, you could just focus on trying to build the long run up and not worry about anything else out of the training program. Mm -hmm. But one, that's kind of boring. Yeah. And two, 
being out there for so long opens the possibility of injuries. Well, right, because your body just starts to break itself down at some point. You, so why you, you need run the fuel. out, right? You run out of the glycogen stores that you have when you're exercising at that level of intensity. That's why carbohydrates are so important for you to take in during the race because there is a point that your muscles and your liver they just run out of glycogen and. Yes, we everybody talks about going into fat ad- adaptation and training your body to use fat as fuel, which we are t- not going to touch in this episode. But there's just an increased risk of body breakdown after mile 20. Right, which is is it's not necessary for especially for the huge majority of runners. It's mm-hmm. just not necessary physically. to go that long, to physically go that to physically, right? But this you know? is the mental we're in the mental section. Well, it's not necessary to mentally go to that place right. all the time. You so know? then how do you mentally accept that, though? I've, that last 6.2 miles, if you've never run over 20 before, how do you mentally tell yourself, I can still do it? This goes back to the, the second point of you have to fully accept that it is possible. Find something that helps you fully accept it. That was the workouts. That was the surrounding yourself with other people that have been there that have said, oh, no, no, I did a workout. I did a training plan. I did 20 and I, I made it through the finish line. I felt great. Or, um, you know, hearing the, the journey of several other people around you, seeing the success of those around you, having a coach who has coached multiple people across a line, knowing that 20 is the max that they've ever done, seeing that it's been done by others, seeing the success and happy stories of other people, and seeing people that have crossed finish lines and, and want to still go do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what helps you say, okay, 20 miles will will get me to the finish line. Right. And that's one of the things that makes the second marathon easier than the first. Definitely makes the second one easier because you know you've done it. I, I would have PR'd in my second one, I think, if it wasn't like 112 degrees. I mean, right. I mean, if you take into consideration the weather and take out that what is it, up 12 to 15% that the heat and humidity added to your race? Yeah, it was yeah. absurd. I, I don't remember exactly what the conditions were, but it was really, really hot. I and know that it was like 88 degrees when we were waiting for your darn award at the end. Yes, but I felt I felt so much better in the early miles of that. I didn't freak out and panic in the first few miles and take it out way too fast like I did in my first one where I just ran off and run with some like 25-year-old kid. That was really dumb. <laughs> like... I just, I ran within myself. I didn't panic. I'd been there. I'd run the 26 miles and I knew, I knew that I could get to the finish line. This Mm -hmm. is what the second one does for you. This is why so many people cross the finish line and they're like, Ooh, that hurt. I'd like to take some time off, but also where's a racing calendar so I can find my next one. Mm -hmm. What do you think about visualization? Like using visualization as a tactic to help get you mentally to that point. I mean, it's, it's the same tactics that allow you to get to the starting line and say, I can make it to the finish line, knowing that you've only run, only trained for 20 is the same mental tactics that get you through some of those ridiculous workouts. Okay. So breaking it down into percentages, the visualization of seeing the finish line. But I mean, actually having sit down visualizations like because there are people that do that there are people that sit down and they run through the race in their head they visualize themselves you know at mile 20 at mile 21 at mile 22 and then crossing the finish line they just go through that in their head 
I, no, I do not have personal experience of that. Right. It seems so, like yeah, something... That's not, that's not so much your MO. That is not my MO. That <laughs> seems like what you would do leading to a marathon when you finally flip your brain over and go, yeah, 26, I'm doing that myself. No, that that flip has not occurred yet. <laughs> oh, it definitely has not but occurred do you yet. Remember, do you remember but, when I had our cross-country kids do the visualization uh, that The one boys day? still like to do the visualization. <laughs> <laughs> they, sometimes they like fun. to no 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 now now you're gonna close your eyes and I'll do the visualization for you <laughs> they, they love it I thought it went okay it went fine but I have a friend that is running her first marathon she's running Chicago this fall and she bought herself a Chicago marathon hat and when she wears that hat she feels more powerful she she's feels, a superhero right she feels like She's already done it before. And I was actually just listening to a podcast this morning that was super interesting. And I think I'm going to start instituting some of this in my daily gratitude practice. So we've talked before about journaling and gratitude and using that that sense of gratitude, starting your day with things that you are thankful for. In the podcast that I listened to this morning, he suggested as part of that gratitude practice to give gratitude for something that you have not yet accomplished. So, but that you know you are going to accomplish somewhere down the road. It, it's it's thanking, you know, the universe, whatever religious system you believe in, you're thanking that for something that you have not yet done. So, if you know I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon, you're going to start feeling grateful for that now, even though you haven't yet done it. Interesting. So the the concept behind this I thought was very interesting. He said when you put something out there, a desire, right? You put when there's something in life that you want, part of that want, like if you want something, an unconscious underlying thing of that is that you don't yet have that thing. Right. Okay. You, you want something, but you don't yet have it. When you flip it and give gratitude for something that you are going to accomplish, that takes away that underlying thing that you don't have that yet. Because you are automatically, you are assuming that you have, you have it. It just hasn't come to you yet. Does that make sense? It, it does. It's it, that flop. It, it's kind of in the same aspect of enjoy the journey, like mm-hmm. fully enjoy the journey towards towards where you're going. Uh-huh. You know, don't have a, a goal where that is the absolute finish line. You know, if if you've got a marathon coming up on the calendar, that doesn't mean that's the end of your running journey. Of course not. That's but simply that is a, a, a signpost along the course. But it's a very concrete goal. It is. You know, and, and that is a, a good goal to have. But I think that that's such an interesting concept to give the gratitude ahead of time for something that you know you're going to accomplish. And every day, every time that you say thank you for that thing, that you're already just accepting the fact that you're going to do that. It's it's already there. It certainly helps when you're trying to head out on like an 18-miler yeah. to be grateful for what's coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, if you're going out on that 18-miler, you say thank you for completing this 18-miler. If you say that before you go, you know you're already going to do it. Yeah, but I mean, saying saying thank you for for the race that's coming up in two months 
seems like it's pretty good inspiration to make you at least take the first step on your long run that weekend. Because gotcha. as as you get into the drag of the marathon, I mean that's that's one of the mental issues of it. Also, is the training program itself. It gets to a point where it's just it's not super exciting on a day to day thing. There mm-hmm. are parts of it that just kind of drag. Yeah, and. But I think that when when you just keep like that gratitude at the center, I mean, that's one thing that I know I felt in my half marathon this past weekend is I was out there running and I'm, I was running from Napa to Sonoma. So I'm just out there in gorgeous wine country. And I just had this overwhelming sense of gratitude for everything, for being able to be there, be there in that race, be there with my friends. And just I was so thankful for my the strength of my body to allow me to do something like that, you know, and, and just keeping that at, at the center. Like, you know how strong you are because even if you've never run a marathon before, there's stuff you've gone through in your life. There are challenges that you have experienced and that you have overcome and you have probably knocked out of the water, right? That You have not just overcome them, but you have surpassed and succeeded expectations and this marathon can be just another one of those things. It's something that you are going to do that you just need to accept. You Okay, I am going to do this, and I am going to be grateful for this experience every step of the way. And then when I cross that finish line, it's just going to be the final thank you for the journey that you've just been on. That is an excellent way to combat the last thing that I have already written down here. Um, <laughs> is the the gratitude ahead of time it it counteracts what what i've heard to heard referred to as the sorry f- i kind of went off the outline here a little bit no yeah. but i love it i i mean as soon as we got into the mental aspect, I'm like, hey, you haven't crossed the marathon finish line, but you're going to be able to provide so much towards this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the last thing I had written down is something I've heard referred to as the Phidippides complex. Say w- that again. Phidippides? Phidippides. He was the guy, he was the um, warrior who ran from, what, Marathon to Athens to announce that they had won the battle and then had to run back to the battlefield. And so he basically ran 26 miles from Marathon to Athens and then turned around and ran back. And when he got back, he immediately dropped down dead. And so the complex suggests So that, he gave it his all. Yes. So this is, this is the issue is this is a guy who was able to give it his all. So a lot of people cross a finish line. This leads to the success of the second marathon of when you cross it the first time, you think to yourself, that went well, but I probably could have done this better and this better and this better. I, I'm not sure I gave it quite as much. Or you cross the finish line and you kind of walk through the chute, you grab some water and you see the guy next to you that like dropped to the ground or is like doubled over grabbing his knees. And you're like... I don't know if I gave it that much. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's this like small nagging disappointment that you could have gone just a little bit harder. Okay. Counteracting it beforehand with gratitude really makes you hit that finish line and just accept the happiness that comes with that mm-hmm. accomplishment. Yeah. I, I like think, it. I mean, I think that's super important. And I mean, I, I don't want to keep talking about my race, but... At the same time. Yeah, you do. You just did it. I did it. It was really fun. <laughs> it was like the best race ever. But I crossed the finish line and I had a little bit of that Philippe's complex because I was like, I know I could have PR'd in this race because the race felt so good and I just I stuck with my original plan because I was not planning to PR. I just wanted to take it all in, enjoy the experience, do the wine tastings along the route. Like It was just all about the experience for me. Did you enjoy some wine at 9? 
Um, it was actually they had the first wine was at like seven point seven. There you go. And I missed that one. No, I missed it. But then they had another one at like ten and a half that Great. we stopped and enjoyed and took a picture and stuff. So, but anyway, it was just it was funny though because on the starting line I said I'm not going to PR and it was in a way. But then we were I'm, I was on pace to PR like for more than half the race and I and I thought to myself hmm should I change. What I what I'm doing here, and should I just like go for it and and try to tr- make you know do a PR here? And I I decided not to because I just want I just let's stick with the original plan. But you had your mind wrapped around so much enjoyment of it, and yeah. it took the pressure off of it the race. Totally took the pressure and off. It's that's crazy. how it made it so it was less taxing for you to get remarkably close to your marathon right. to your half marathon PR. But when I crossed that finish line. I was so happy and so grateful for that race because there was just so many good things about the race. But then Fidipity showed up. No. Well, <laughs> yes, Fidipity showed up and then I kicked him away and said to myself, knowing how I feel crossing the line right now with that time on the clock makes me completely confident that I will be able to PR when I choose a race to PR in. Key West. Which is probably Key West. Key West half. Yeah. yeah. So if you're not – Yet aware, we are doing a destination race in Key West in January for all of our real-life runners. We want to meet our podcast listeners. We want you guys to come join us in Key West. So if you want to come join us in Key West, please do. Um, the website is keywesthalfmarathon.com. And if you use the code Real life, you get fifteen percent off. So that was just something random I just threw in there. But, no, no, that's excellent. Yeah, excellent work. Yeah. So come join us in Key West. All right. So let's wrap this all up. Um, what? Wh- where, where? How do we want to wrap this up, babe? Like, how do we run our first marathon? I think you covered a lot of amazing points in this. Well, we have a few random nuggets that that we pulled out of the physical at the beginning, but I think there's a few key mental training things and a lot of them come for come around uh, the fear of the unknown and how do you overcome that and putting yourself into workouts where it it's a better simulation of running 26 miles or it's pushing your body in a state of fatigue already um, that does it having people around you who are supportive having people around you who have done this before who are on the same journey having a coach around you who's who's been there before who's coached others who have been there before all of this helps support you and get you to that place and help kind of diminish the fear so that when you're there standing on the starting line you are confident that you're going to make it there and uh, you're already grateful that you've you've crossed the finish line in Mm -hmm. a few hours well i mean and that's it right there because one of the best uh ways to combat fear is gratitude it's awesome right and and that I think really sums this this whole thing up is the best mm-hmm. way to combat fear is gratitude and lots of really good preparation. <laughs> yeah, and several long runs and practice fueling and mm-hmm. drinking and increase your lactate threshold. <laughs> <laughs> and right. the gratitude. And the gratitude. <laughs> Let's get all woo woo. All right, so I think that pretty much sums it up. Thank you guys as always so so much for joining us today. And for listening to us for the past 46 minutes and 25 seconds, we appreciate (laughs) you so much. And please send us your questions and comments. That's actually how we got this topic. It was also one of the questions um, from our Real Life Runners tribe. One of our runners in there asked us this, and we thought that it would benefit a lot of people if we talked about it on the podcast. So if you want to join our Facebook tribe, head over to the website – 
You can go to realliferunnerspodcast.com, click on Facebook group, and just type in your email address, and we will add you into the group there. So if you have any questions, send them our way. Thank you for joining us today, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.